morning, Miss Evelyn. Good morning, Joe B. How are you this Sunday morning? Excellent. And you? What do we normally do on Sunday morning? Not much. <laughs> Not much. Uh, it's getting to be almost like it's every morning. I feel like that the last three or four days because I haven't been functioning too well with my back, so it's just nicer to sit here and baby it than it is to do something. And besides that, it's a little cloudy out these last few days and a little rainy, and I do love that. So, And it sounds like it's pouring now. It's pouring. Oh, it is. It's pouring down rain now, which is... When you live in Phoenix and it pouring down rain, the first thing you think of is you want to go outside and run around in it and get wet. I think this morning it'll be a little cool. Yes, probably. Probably. But it is... Uh, a wonderful feeling uh, to see it rain. I love the rain. It is uh, <clears throat> part of the uh, Sunday morning feature, the climate change, all the different things that are happening because of uh, the changing in the climate. Uh, we just moved from California, so that was one state that uh, bore, bore witness to many, many climate change problems. Oh, yes, but we always thought that, uh, and still do, San Diego has the perfect weather. Um, I think it has changed the last few years. Um, okay. <laughs> drop, drop your cheat sheet. <laughs> I think that uh, when we went to San Diego, we thought it was fantastic because there was no wintertime, no snow. Uh, we always said that every day uh, had three seasons, uh, spring, uh, summer, and fall. Um, you got up in the morning, it was nice and cool. You could do your running, exercising, get out and about and do your work outdoors. Um, by afternoon or 12 o'clock, it was summertime, go to the beach. Great evening, bring a jacket because you're going to need it when the sun goes down. So it had perfect weather, but... Um, in the last few years, they've had some crazy weather since we've been over here. I mean, they've had some really hot days like we have, and uh, and all the fires. It seems like, you know, they're they're trying to burn up California. So, uh, and besides that, it's so expensive over there. So now we understand they're all moving over here, and uh, I understand why they want to take advantage of our weather. And just be about five hours away from San Diego to get, you know, mountains too and the ocean. So we're sitting in a pretty good spot. Yeah, where we lived, I always said we were 20 minutes from everything. 20 minutes from the ocean, 20 minutes from Mexico, 20 minutes from the mountains, 20 minutes from the desert. Whatever you want, you had where we were in San Diego. Yes, and it used to be... Uh, when we first got to uh, San Diego, and that was over 20 years ago, um, to get on the trolley and ride down to the border and go across and have a really authentic uh, Mexican meal and uh, July do 1997. Yeah, and do some no. shopping. Yeah, and do some shopping and everything was such a treat. And uh, now I'm no, it's. I don't know that I would do that over there now. 
I absolutely love the trip into Mexico uh, many, many times. Uh, I would take the trolley down, and sometimes you would go with me, and sometimes you wouldn't, and take the trolley down and uh, go shopping. And uh, you remember Lucy, the girl who would find the uh, Rolex, the fake Rolex watches for me? And Lucy would go down into Mexico, and the difference in a fake Rolex and a genuine is a sweeping hand. The fake Rolex has the jerking hands because it's a quartz inside. But the uh, real good sweeping hands fake Rolex, uh, while the fake uh, quartz cost about 50 bucks a piece, uh, the sweeping hands was two fifty, but you couldn't tell them but from the uh, authentic one. You remember Lucy? Yes, I do. I I began to wonder about the two of you. You had such a great relationship. Yes. So uh, climate change, they said uh, Madison, Wisconsin was a good place to move. Uh, you ever been to Madison? No, I don't think so. No. Um, but I was thinking, too, um, that's quite a change for those people because they're going where the weather is, you know, bad because we have so many snowbirds here from Wisconsin, uh, especially Minnesota. Um, oh, my gosh, just New York, all over that come here. Um I would think if you could do it and you were retired, that that would be the thing to do is to go back. Because, like, if I could do that, I would probably go to the Midwest for part of the summer. Of course, it gets very hot and humid there. But um, it is so green. And then come back here for the winters. I think those people that get to do that have it. They got it ideal. Madison, Wisconsin was where I learned to drink Bacardi's rum and coke. Really? Yes, I was in the Army Reserves, and uh, we'd go to Camp McCoy, Wisconsin, every summer for our training. We were there for two weeks, which meant we had a weekend that we could travel around, and Dan Bain and uh, Dan Woodland, Blake Kern, and I would... uh, get in my 1956 Pontiac, and we would travel to a different location every year and spend the weekend, and we spent the weekend in Madison, Wisconsin. Beautiful town, college town, but we were in this one bar, and uh, that was back before I was married and before I drank, uh, whenever I did drink, and uh, this barmaid, this uh, server, by the name of Lolita. Lord. Lolita. I said, to her, yeah, I said to her, um, I, I am from the hills of southern Illinois, and I really, all I know is beer. I don't know anything about drinks. What do you recommend? And she said, I recommend Bacardi's Rum and Coke. And Evelyn, let me tell you, she stirred up the smoothest, mm. the nicest. Have you? Mm. Oh, yes. It must have been the... Uh, college drink because, and I hadn't, I was like you, I'd never heard of it being from Southern Illinois. But from the minute I got on the train to go to Texas to school, um, 
I drove down the first time to get all situated, but to come home to visit and to go back, we went on the train. And that was the choice of all the college kids was rum and Coke. And rum is still one of my favorite drinks. Yeah. Did you ever get sick on rum and Coke? No. I did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ian, uh, Lolita. Oh, Lolita, while she wouldn't uh, marry me and, and run away with me from that bar in Madison, Wisconsin, she did sell enough rum and Coke to really do the business on me. But Madison was a, a good area, and I can understand why you want to get away from the coastal areas now with uh, oh. global warning, warming like it is. Oh, and the people, you know, in Florida, uh, it's just... Uh, it was bad enough when we were down there in 93 um, in North Carolina. Uh, all the uh, hurricanes and everything that was coming through. Um, and now, I mean, the same people are just getting it over and over and over. And just how many times mentally can you see everything you've worked for being destroyed almost every year? Or, you know, or having to move three or four times a year when they come through. It's, uh, you know, I don't know how much it's worth to live down there. CBS Sunday Morning featured a lot of heroes. Uh, they had Hank Aaron on, who, uh, of course, was a great athlete who broke the color barrier at all places, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, for the Braves, whenever he uh, ended up with 755 home runs. And uh, quite a gentleman and, and a great success story. And then, of course, Larry King, with all his interviews and uh, his spoken word, made him famous. But the other star that has risen, especially with me, is uh, Dr. Fauci. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Um, he um, His looks are so different now when you see him on TV than they were before. I mean, he has a smile on his face, and he he looks so much more relaxed, you know, through his eyes and everything. And, um, yes, but isn't it sad to see that, just like um, Hank Aaron, that um, how the, the death threats that you get, you know, the racist ones with him and, and uh, Fauci now, he... People want to do him and his family bodily harm because uh, he stands up and, and speaks the truth. I meant, you know, what happens to the free speech for a person who wants to tell the truth? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, I just think it's sad that these people have, you know, what would be his point of lying about it? It's just I don't understand it. And I, and I just feel sorry that these people have donated <clears throat> so much of their life and time to uh, studying medicine, something to help all of us, and especially in times like now, the pandemic, and who are so uh, mistreated or, you know, not be in favor with the, all the people. You know, that's one of the big questions I, too, have is uh, in January uh, last year, if President Trump would have embraced the virus for what it was, what it is, 
if he would have jumped on top and uh, established a, a protocol on uh, how medicine was going to be uh, the winner of this great battle, if he would have marched forward uh, uniting uh, states and uniting the people uh, with the idea that this was a serious situation and he was going to take command of it, but why he didn't do that, I will never know. He he fought it like it was the opposition, like it was going to take from him press time. And uh, he became uh, divisive and uh, very negative toward it. Yes, you know, I think it has a lot to do with, after I heard uh, the story uh, presented by his niece about the book that she had written about him, uh, um, and it said that growing up, he could never do enough. There was never enough success as far as his um, father was concerned. And I was just thinking while you were talking that that's what he is searching for. But when he gets something, it's never enough. Um, so... It's more important him to him and feeds his um, self by, you know, he wants to be recognized for being the best and doing everything right so that, you know, there's no way that his poor soul ever be satisfied with anything that he does or that he receives. Mm -hmm. So doing the right thing is not a reward, reward enough, I don't think. I know Joe Scarborough had a interesting observation. He said if Trump had been a little smarter, he could have overtaken the government, that he could have engineered uh, with martial law and, and gone ahead and done because it was so close. It was... Uh, scarily close, but uh, the fact that uh, he didn't embrace it and uh, march with it ended up costing him the presidency, at least for the time being. I don't think I don't think he's done yet. I think he's uh, set to come back, and we'll see a lot of him between now and then. Oh, I think you're right. Uh, I don't think that type of person and personality um, can ever be done until it's all over. You know, on the other side of the picture, the political picture, is uh, Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, who is uh, everything, looks everything but like a politician. Oh, he looks like a uh, bodyguard for a high, what, gang member. <laughs> for Lolita at the bar. Yes, I meant uh, it was really good that he had this interview today because you... Um, you know, you need to hear about people and have people interviewed and hear them talk and what they do in their life and and a little bit more about them because we have a tendency, I think, to form a lasting impression on the very first impression we see. And um, you would have thought this guy was just, you know, a big, tall, dumb guy. And he he is not. He has a heart ticking in that giant body. And the thing that I think is very important is he did not just jump into politics and run for lieutenant governor. He was the mayor of a city for 
several terms for some terms and uh, had uh, a list of accomplishments and understood government. You know, these people in business, and you remember the wrestler who decided he was going to run for president and uh, ended up, uh, was elected governor of one of the states, and uh, uh, he bellied up real quick. And then in in our time, uh, walking Dan Walker uh, in Illinois, uh, who had never held an office, decided he was going to run for the governorship of Illinois and walked the entire state. I remember walking with him through West Frankfurt, and I recorded him as we uh, walked north, and Dan Walker was elected, and what a busk. He ended up spending uh, the latter years of his life in prison. And, uh, of course, Trump, who had never held office or never uh, had a civic lesson uh, in um, how to actually operate a city or state or a nation. These people just can't do it. Uh, political science is a science, and it requires people who have experience in all walks of life, but experience in civics to be able to be good administrators. Amen. Amen. Amen, sir. Sounds good to me. I'll leave it at that. Uh, they had a little snippet on Joe Biden's history. Uh, was there anything there that uh, st- stood out for you? No, I just think uh, um, I think he's the type of person, and everybody says he's too old. Well, you know what? I think he's at the age to where uh, his own uh, wants and everything um, are not what turns him. What I guess what I'm trying to say is that he is not working for an outcome that, you know, is going to build him up. I honestly think he has nothing to lose and he has everything to gain and to give because I meant he's, he's not aspiring to be something else. He's not aspiring for all, you know, he, I think he's genuinely, you know, a person who has been around long enough to be honest when he says he cares. Thirteen times he watched an inauguration, including this time his. Yeah, and so you you have to wonder, I mean, uh, what's the good Lord been doing, hanging on to him, you know, by his bootstraps all this time? Um, so, you know, I think people ought to try to give him a chance. Um, a come to Jesus moment for me was whenever I realized I'm older than Tom Brokaw. <laughs> oh, well, what I thought, I th- my first thought with him, he's 55 uh, he's been in the business 55 years, and okay, so he's retired today. I thought, what does that guy do? You know, it's hard for a lot of people to retire, as you well know. Uh, and so uh, you think of what does he, you know, go home and he's out in the garden or he's, you know, maybe writing a book or something. You just wonder, um, these reporters are on the move, especially when they're younger and on the go. I meant... You look at where all these reporters come in now, they're all over the world, and they're busy. They're they're doing something exciting and, you know, every day, and then all of a sudden they retire. That's got to be a shock. 
Yeah, they uh, had the feature on uh, uh, the the great reporter uh, who passed away. Uh, what was his name? Larry King. Larry. You remember Larry King? Mm-hmm. I never really liked Larry King. Okay. I don't know. I liked who he interviewed, I guess, but I don't know. I have a really bad trait, I guess, of um, how the people come across to me. Sometimes it's not, you know, I don't know. One of the uh, mentions of the uh, interviewer was that Larry King listened whenever he interviewed people. And I think that's so vital. I know uh, the kids got a recorder, the grandkids got a recorder, and I was talking to Jack and Cormick about uh, interviewing, and I said uh, to Jack, I said, Jack, just listen. Be sure to have a question in your mind to go to the next one, but be sure to listen. And uh, derive your next question off what the person says, and that was brought home to me uh, when a, a, a St. Louis Cardinal interviewer uh, was interviewing a coach, and the coach knew that the interviewer didn't listen to the answer, and uh, that he just had his pre-done questions and. So the uh, coach said to during the interview, they asked him uh, who was going to start. And he said, well, we're going to start Bill Johnson in third base. And he said, uh, you know, we would start Phil Pinkerton, but uh, they found a dead woman under his bed last night. And uh, so, but we're going to start uh, uh, the, the right-hander this time. And, went on, and, went on, and, the, and the announcer went on to the next question. Yeah, that's when you're really involved in your interview, isn't it? Yes. Well, good for him. (laughs) That's funny. Any dead women under your bed? Uh, No, on top of my bed, (laughs) I thought, but no. Fix me a Bacardi rum and Coke, and let's call it a day. Oh, I think that would be fun to watch. Mm. Okay, I'll I'll let our audience know how that goes. So uh, how what grade would you give me on... uh, the TV Turner this morning. Oh my gosh. I have to take my Zoloft immediately because I thought, just leave it alone. We'll watch all the commercials too. You know, sometimes commercials aren't bad. It's just, and yeah, you, um, your, your uh, precision this morning was just a little bit off. What grade do you give me? Zero. <laughs> And that's a good grade. And that does it for today. (laughs) Have a good one. Love you, darling. Love you, hon. Bye-bye.